You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Oh, assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim. This is Uzma Jaffrey drinking her coffee. I know we can drink, we can drink. And this is Zeba behind a cloak and dagger of a picture. I'm not camera ready today, girl. So I am. (laughs) Tell us about your week, how you're feeling and the story behind the picture. Thank you. The story behind the picture is um, I have thyroid disease. You know, I have tumors on my thyroid, which I've been unfortunately battling for a while. Um, and I got, I had an MRI done in February before all this COVID stuff happened. And despite the increase of my medication, they're like, you know, they're not going down as much as we'd like them to go down. So let's go ahead and schedule, um, a biopsy. And of course it was scheduled for the Monday after all COVID things went down. So if all procedures, everything got canceled, didn't think about it. Then last, early last week, they were like, okay, we're opening up for selective things. You were one of the first people that we canceled. Can we just go ahead and fit you in? And honestly, just didn't even think about it. Um, Didn't realize the recovery and the fact that I bruise and swell so easily. (laughs) Hence, never going to do plastic surgery, ladies, because I'll be recovering from that for months and months. And kind of squeezed it in without... Um, letting people know, you know, so this is if my mom is watching, sorry, didn't tell them. Um, it was just kind of a last minute thing. But alhamdulillah, everything's fine. I'm definitely scary. I decided to wear hijab for the first time, because my kids were so scared of my face and my bandages that I wore hijab all birthday weekend to cover my bandages. But that is pretty much where I'm at. No worries, everybody. I'm fine, inshallah. But how was your weekend? How's Rania? So because I can't do anything for my fellow brothers and sisters right now, just given that Rania is on immunosuppressive drugs for her encephalitis, I can't go out into public unless it's absolutely necessary. So at work, I wear a mask and that's pretty good. If I was out on the streets, I would also be wearing a mask. But when you multiply, you know, how many people are taking to the streets right now, it puts my family at increased risk. So I really can't do anything. So the way that I'm working out my stress, okay, just hold on to your hijabs, everybody. Um, I'm cooking like me. I don't understand like who this person is in my house and neither do my kids. They're like, what? We have like two courses and dessert? What? I know. You're like becoming Martha Stewart. I'm basically, yeah. But it's because of the recommendation you made for watching It's Time to Eat on Netflix with Nadia Hussein. And it's great because it showed up on the FYI org. They sent out um, some emails to parents recommending the top 150 educational series to watch on Netflix so that, you know, the kids don't have summer slump any more than they've had the COVID slump (laughs) from school. So Nadia's show is on there, which is great. And the representation is really Mm -hmm. great because my kids are like, Ami, is she Muslim? Because she'll like, she visits like places. If For those who don't know, she goes to some of these factories that make um, the ingredients that she cooks with. And so if she finds out that something is like alcohol based, she's like, wait a minute, I don't drink alcohol. Explain this to me. Um, Or she'll say, I only eat halal. So this is why this is important. So I'm like, oh my God, she's doing what she loves. 
and she's giving such incredible dawa. Go girl. Like I will learn to cook everything that you tell me to learn how to cook at this point. So, well, I love that, but we obviously have a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about before we bring our guest on. Um, the, the world right now is in a very crazy place. Um, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, what is our soapbox for today, Ms. Uzma? Our soapbox today is coming from a personal place. So um, in no way, shape, or form is what I'm about to say the viewpoint of Mamingwa Muslim or any other organization that I'm affiliated with. It is my personal view. So I am reading you know, a lot of posts from people that I love, people that I know, people that I respect about these looters are so lawless and this is not how you protest and this is not riots are not the right way, bring out the curfew. Of course, we didn't have a curfew the entire pandemic that I can that I can think of in any given state, even though all of Europe was doing it in China. No, no. That is fascist. No, no, that is draconian. We don't do things like that. But then when colored bodies hit the street demanding justice, suddenly let's institute a curfew. When people are looting high-end stores with their white bodies, by the way, if you watch the, the camera footage, because some of these idiots are stupid enough to post it on social media. When you watch these white bodies looting, suddenly let's put a curfew on because these crazy people are coming to loot and rape us. Several uh, groups that I'm on, there are fake accounts that have been started in the last week saying, oh, be careful. My police relative has told us that black people are coming and they've posted this and they're saying they're going to come to our houses and rape our women and steal our children. I mean, it is so 1880s, like 1850s, Wild West BS, basically. Um, saying that the worst thing that you can imagine is going to happen to your families because these black people have suddenly gone nuts because only black people go nuts. It's never a white supremacist with a gun, right? So um, I worked so hard when I came to this country and blah, 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 and looting is not the way to do it. That hurts my business. Guess what? Your business can be replaced. It's fully insured. So I want people who are coming from that place of looking down on looting to check your own privilege, I'm having to check and check my privilege over and over again. I get to stay home and cope and make great recipes with anything that I want because I have a Netflix subscription in a nice house, in a nice kitchen, in a safe place. Millions of black people in America for generations have never had that. And so if they, if they are actually the ones that are going into a high-end store and stealing a couple of bags, good. They deserve it because reparations have never been made. Peaceful protests were never accepted. Nothing ever happened. We always said, bring Cap back when he took a knee on the field and nobody listened. So now, you know, this is what's going to happen. You can call it violent. I just call it very loud protesting. And I don't think we as non-black people of color get to tell black people what tactics they can use to protest, what tactics they can use to rebel. That is their entitlement, what they use. We don't get to pass a judgment on it. We can just decide what are we comfortable doing? Is it speaking? Is it writing? Is it marching? Is it, you know, is it looting? You know, if that's what we want to do, I mean, there's going to be repercussions, you know, but you choose your tactic. You just don't get to get up on a box and say that's wrong because they need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps because institutionally bootstraps were never given to them. So box for today, everybody. So I don't even know how to follow that 
<laughs> impassioned speech, so I'm going to let it stay right there. Well, why don't you talk about how we plan this entire month? We definitely plan this entire month about the point of view, different types of point of view, and speaking of, you know, checking our own privilege, you know, being Sunni, um, Sunni Muslims, you know, or like, I didn't realize I was Sunni, by the way, until I was in college and somebody told me I was. But that having been, that having been said, like, you know, we are Sunni Muslims, um, also coming from a place of privilege within the subset of um, Muslim America, you know, and, and, I, and part of what we wanted to do is bring other voices within our own communities to come out. So this is a great segue um, to come and introduce our, 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 Lovely host. I feel like I know her so well now. Um, we are joined today by Farheen Reza, producer and host of the podcast Musings of a Modern Muslim. She raises awareness on issues that are important to women, family, and living your best life. Um, and she actually helps her viewers and listeners confront cultural stigmas while bringing hope and healing to all. And she has the best or like professional podcasting room that I've ever seen. And I'm so excited to have Farheen on the show today. And thank you and welcome to Mommy Wall Muslim. Thank you, Zeba. Thank you, Uzma, for having me. We're big fans of um, your podcast. Do you want to give us a little bit, um, our listeners, a little bit of an insight sure. as to what your podcast specifically talks about? And we can start talking about your mom journey. Sure. Um Basically, my podcast, it was a passion project based on the idea that I do radio here in uh, Dallas, which is for, you know, standard Southeast Asian Desi radio. And uh, the topics that because of uh, FCC and all those guidelines that are in place, there's things you can't talk about. And so from that, I kind of, you know, honed my talking skills. And I was like, you know, I, I think I can do better if I did something on my own. And then I thought about for a good year, a good year I spent thinking like, what can I talk about? What would people find interesting? And I, you know, I asked a few people, non-Muslims. I was like, what would you be interested in? And it came up many times that we just want to know more about you. Like, we see you, Farheen, as a Muslim. And when we see other Muslims, we're like, wait, but Farheen's not like that. So how are Muslims really like? And you'd think that's something that's, you know, being covered pretty well across the board. But I think there's still that comfort level where people... Uh, feel if they can approach someone. Um, over here in Dallas, I'm part of this group called Daughters of Abraham. Um, I believe it's a national organization now, but it started off post 9-11 where a Jewish, a Christian, and a Muslim woman got together and they said that, hey, let's discuss how we are similar, how we are different, yet we can st still be friends and get along. So I've been part of that for uh, since I moved to Texas about six years ago. And that place has taught me that how similar we are. And that kind of became this I became a person for a lot of people in that group that I was the only Shia Muslim, sometimes the only Muslim in the room. And I really think in our communities, the thing missing is that we don't reach across lines. We have so much trouble within ourselves and then getting to the other side, to other people, that I was like, you know what, let me focus with that on my podcast. Talk about insight into the Muslim experience, what we do, how we pray, how we're just regular people. And then I interview just regular Muslim people who are doing amazing things in their own fields and how they're contributing to the American society. We've been here forever, y'all. We're, we're, we're here to stay. Just deal with it now. No, that's so great. I, I'm i actually a part of the Daughters of Abraham here in D.C., and it's an amazing organization specifically for that. So uh, kudos to you for for going and reaching across um across the lines. I definitely appreciate that. So tell us about your mom journey. My journey as a mother was interesting because I had a lot of preconceived no notions from my own mom, 
which I think all of us do get because that's just even if we you know don't mm-hmm. like it at that point moms are the ones we idolize I I I still at the age of 36 oh, wow. get yelled at by mom almost every day you didn't do this right you did that right and I was like <laughs> she keeps me in check completely <laughs> forever but uh when I became a mother the first time the the thing that still clicks for me that my mom said when uh when I was going to deliver my oldest and she was like you know when you leave the hospital when you're done and you have that baby and you leave the world will change suddenly your your vision and of course she said all this in urdu but she was like it will just change you will walk out those doors and be a changed person your viewpoints of the world will change everything in the world will have a different meaning every relationship will change and it'll just be all new it'll be a sense of newness you'll feel like you're reborn and that stuck with me through all life everything not just children but with anything i do i think of that that everything is new everything is different and really yeah when i walked out of that hospital with the, the baby i was like oh my god everything's dangerous everything's scary <laughs> it's also bright and magical suddenly all over again and it was amazing and i'm a mom to three boys so i'm horrendously <laughs> horribly outnumbered in my house outnumbered we don't have enough estrogen in this place we have too much testosterone i need a female cat cats in heat like annoyed i'm sure cats. the guys will really appreciate that <laughs> female cats so that we can balance it out in this house so let's talk about the sticky stuff yes exactly i was like let's get right into this i am very uneducated where these types of things are concerned because i really had no my first conversation with somebody i still remember i, I was in college when somebody comes up to me and my maiden name was Hussein and obviously my married name is Hassan so two names that everyone nobody knows what mm. they are right and this guy comes up to me and he was like so are you Shia or Sunni and i remember looking at him and like what the heck are you talking about like i had no clue and not that my parents didn't talk about it it, it really wasn't anything that it was a day-to-day conversation thing for us to be very very honest with you and i'm not saying that's a good thing or is a bad thing at mm-hmm. all i just was so ill informed because i had no clue that there was ever really a difference so first of all i need to know what is the difference for the people like me that are muslim that have never really had any exposure to this so why don't you tell our audience a little bit of what the difference between shia and sunni actually is um the very simple explanation without offending anyone i can come up with is that uh during the time of the prophet peace be upon him when he want our belief in the shia faith is that he wanted um ali to be his successor and uh history went the other way so i mean i know ali eventually became the uh caliph he got the caliphate but our uh belief is that uh the prophet wanted ali right after because it was his son-in-law as well so was, uh you know married to his only child and it was like okay well that's what we believe and after that uh his his lineage technically still continues where in um all his um the prophet's daughters sons which were hasan and husain who got the imamat after um ali and we believe in this concept of imamat where i know in uh, a lot of the sunni faith you you think um well imam is someone who is at the mosque well in ours uh, the imam is someone who has been given divine knowledge after the prophet they're not prophets and they're not above prophet muhammad at all 
I know that's a big misconception. People assume they're like, well, don't you worship Ali and everything? It was like, no, 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 we don't. They're just basically they got divine knowledge after the prophet, but they are not. Uh, a pro- he's not a prophet. He is, you know, right below the prophet. But they are uh, to be looked up to. And in ours, we have 12 imams that followed. So it was uh, Imam Ali was the first. And then his sons, Hassan and Hussein, got it. And then after them, you know, their children. And the lineage followed for 12. And every single imam died of either being... Uh, no one died of natural causes. Let's, that makes it easier to explain. Like No one died naturally. They were all either poisoned or killed. Hmm. And so then in our um, belief is that the 12th imam, the Mahdi, uh, is he was alive, you know, a thousand, well, 800, 900 years ago. He was around the earth walking. And then because this idea that he would get killed as well, he was uh, put into occultation. That's the actual word, occultation by God, by Allah, and kept hidden. So he's around but he's hidden. But we don't worship him. I, I want to stress that because a lot of people assume that Shias worship other than Allah or, uh, you know, look up to or, or we give prophethood to others than Prophet Muhammad. That's not true at all. So the Mahdi is um, in occultation and he's supposed to return on the Day of Judgment along with uh, Jesus. So come back together. They're homies. They're going to, you know, get the prayers going. World will end or come back or whatever at that point. But that's the basic difference. And... um I'm sure you guys have heard that, you know, um, the the first month in the Islamic calendar is Muharram, of course. And you can see that on the 10th of Muharram or up until, you know, first through the 10th of Muharram, there's a month. It's It starts off with morning, morning for us Shias because on the 10th of Muharram, um, 1400 years ago, uh, Imam Hussein, who was uh, third in line, after, you know, after Imam Ali, then his son Hassan, who had already passed away, then Imam Hussein, he died on, he was uh, martyred on the fields of Karbala in Iraq, along with uh, 72 companions who were mostly women and children. So it wasn't like a battle, like a free-for-all, like air to rule style battle. It was pretty bad. It was 10,000 against uh, about 1,000 people. So that was, you know, odds aren't matching here. And him and his uh, family were martyred. And so... Those uh, those months are mourning for us because we're thinking of his sacrifice and he stood up to oppression and tyranny of that time. So even now at protests and what actually is happening in the world today, a lot of us are quoting um, Imam Hussein, uh, one of his most famous one, which I was going to share later on um, on my page was uh, those who are silent when others are oppressed are guilty of oppression themselves. You're right. It's just mm-hmm. um, horrible events took place and we all mourn the loss of, you know, our great leaders of the time. For those of us who were born and raised in this country and for our kids, I think, you know, like Zeba's experience of learning for the first time what she was or having to have that conversation with the parents, like, what am I? All of us have had to do that. Like, what school of thought do we belong to? What kind of, you know, practice are mm-hmm. we? What sector are we? Like, we've all had these conversations with our parents because we just don't know. So I want to talk about a little bit about that, that baggage that our parents had, because I don't know um, what experiences your family had in the back home countries. Um, my dad would talk about how in India, mm-hmm. where he was born and raised, Shia, Sunni, there was a lot of intermarriages, like when you're talking about... Um, uh, there was like some some festival, and I think it was a Shia festival, but it was like 
they would make the rice pudding and everybody would go to those houses, even though there were Shia houses, to have the rice pudding and back and forth. So there was no weirdness except during the times of mourning when um, the Shia would perform the matam and then the Sunnis would be like, yeah, we're not going to do that because that looks painful. But when you guys have fun, we want to totally jump in. Not to interrupt you, but what is matam? I'm going to let Fahim define that. Okay. You know what? This is a good thing because I want to, you know, get rid of some misconceptions about matam as well. So uh, Zeba, when, uh, the, uh, when the imam was martyred and his family was martyred, they didn't kill the women. They took uh, their hijabs off, which in that time, you know, for someone to be in that household, to have your hijab snatched off and be paraded down the street was, you know, akin to being paraded naked. So his uh, sister, so Imam Hussein's sister, uh, Bibi Zainab, was saw the whole thing and and she was of course older so she saw all the people get martyred her own children and all the events that carried out she saw it from a hill that they still have in um iraq that uh, in karbala where they've you know marked it as uh the hill of zainab she watched everything unfold from there and so when they were taken to um sham which is i believe modern day syria uh they were taken mm-hmm. there into um captivity and in captivity, she started relating the story because people would come up to her uh, her and um, uh, the people who were in the jail. So you know how jail cells had like little like windows or something like underground and everything. So they would come up and they're like, tell us what happened. And then she would relate the whole event over and over. So like she was the initial oral reciter. And she was known to be very eloquent, extremely eloquent, like her father, um, Ali, who was supposed to you know his book is called the peak of eloquence which is translated all over it's a great book and um so she was an extremely well-spoken well-versed and eloquent woman and she um even told the whole story over and over with full details and of course in her grief whenever she would uh, relate this story that you know then they beheaded my brother and they did this really extreme stuff she would start beating her chest and that's uh, a lot of shias have taken that as a sign of like you know this is my outward uh, way of mourning that I'm going to, you know, beat my chest. There has definitely been a lot of show of mourning. Yes, it's a show of mourning that you know people we we cry we um we have people cry a lot people do beat their chests, but there is this aspect that's been added over the years. This was not so back in that time where people do matam on fire. I've seen people do matam with knives and um. And I don't like that because now if you look up Ashura, the day that all this happened on Google, if you Google that right now, you don't see the imam story or anything about the gatherings. You see only blood. My family never promoted it. Uh, my, my personal, like my nuclear family never promoted. Luckily, my husband and his family don't promote it. So if you see us mourning, it'll just be beating the chest. And it's a show of grief. Back in our back home countries, our parents grew up with this intermixing of Shia Sunni that didn't seem problematic. Mm-hmm. Then um, as they migrated over and we were born and raised here and growing up, we would see during Maharam or hear about in Maharam Shias and Sunnis killing each other. And now we have what's happening, the war in Syria. So Mm. can you speak to being Sunni or Shia now in the United States, like the three of us, what are the advantages and disadvantages of the way our parents grew up and the way we're growing up? Well, uh, when we uh, immigrated to the U.S., the first thing was we didn't care who it was as long as they kind of spoke you know urdu hindi it was like okay we can connect so my parents we we had hindu friends we have 
we still have a lot of Sunni friends. Uh, like my mom still has a lot of Sunni friends. I think the divisions, we started noticing them was when a lot of the youth started, you know, kind of finding their own way and trying to figure out what was going on. Like our parents, they didn't care. They were like, you know, we're just happy that, oh, you drink chai and have biryani. We're good. We're friends for life. That's it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you are. But Universal uh, with, language uh, of the, biryani. Th- <laughs> yeah, biryani is, is the, you know, brings everyone together. But I think when, when we started seeing the youth, like people in our age group trying to find, you know, their own reasons for practicing, at that time, I think there was a lot of preachers. I don't know if they were influenced by other countries or other teachings. This this sense of, you know, not before we think it would just be that, oh, Shias are different. They do different things. And that was it. Now it's like, oh, no, they are disbelievers. They are, uh, what's that term that they use now? Rafidis and they need to be killed. And it's like, well, what? <laughs> what is going on? Like, wh- what just happened? And... Uh, we noticed that people who were like we have we have friends of my my parents have friends and us, the kids used to be friends and the kids are no longer friends because oh. the the Sunni kids chose that we were we were untouchable or we were horrible. So even though the parents still kind of meet and mingle, the kids choose not to. And they're like, no, no, you guys are something else. And it's like, well, but but we like we grew up together because um, your family's from Hyderabad, right? Yeah. And I know a lot of uh, families in Hyderabad, they did have a lot of this intermixing where Shias and Sunnis marry each other and it was never a problem. The I think the problem slowly that has become normalized is that because a lot of people are practicing, you have these situations where even if uh, I know someone right now who was a, a Shia girl, she fell in love with a Sunni guy and they got married the the guy's parents didn't attend the wedding because they were like, well, you're marrying a Shia. You're good as dead to us. And it's like, well, um, that's not nice either. <laughs> I mean, they refused to come. They were like, no, we're, we're not even going to be a part of this at all, ever. Forget it. And I've seen vice versa. I've seen, because that, that inherent um, hate is being inbuilt in the younger generation that I, I think they're having more trouble seeing beyond that. So mm-hmm. if you're in any way, shape, a practicing Shia it becomes important to you that you kind of stick to a Shia. Doesn't mean you don't like anyone else, but it's like, well, if I have this love for the, you know, the house of the prophet, and then my spouse has hate for them, it it becomes, you know, conflict. And I think a lot of these things, people need to, I really, really am for, uh, if you are going to be making a decision that you know might, you know, cause waves, I really think you need to sit down with, both, you know, a, a Sunni imam and a Shia Molana and have like pre-wedding counseling done. Oh, 100%. Like seriously, just just talk it through and be like, would you be okay with the, with this? I already told my kids before they get married, you guys are getting pre- <laughs> pre-marital yes, you counseling oh, and you guys, and they're like, why? I'm like, counseling. because it yes, doesn't yes. matter. No, so I am, like I said, I'm not very familiar with this. Marriage is hard. Marriage I'm not very familiar hard. with this. I We do it, have a woman really on helps. our staff. Her name is Sol, Sola, not staff. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Part of our team. And she always jokes like she's Shasuni. Her husband's family is Shia. And they call their kids sushi, which I think it's such a cute term. She's like, we're sushi kids. And we're perfectly fine with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a cute term. That's awesome. Somebody just wrote, like, I'm not Sunni, I'm not Shia, I'm just a Muslim, and I believe in the Quran. It kind of does speak to kind of how I personally feel, which is so weird, right? Because my maiden name was Hussein, and now it's Hassan. So, like, I'm literally this weird person because everyone just assumes that I'm Shia, and I'm just kind of like, 
I'm neither because for me, it was always like a political and I could be wrong again. It was a political situation at a time and a place that I don't know. I don't necessarily feel applies to today. That's just me personally. And I, and I'm just like, I believe in the Quran, the five pillars, and this is just how I'm raising my kids. Like we don't have that political aspect of it. So like, I do believe that there's a portion of the population that is like that. And like me, that is kind of like, you know, it, it won't necessarily matter, but it is a major sect in Islam. And I definitely, you know, like Usma says, we're starting our different points of views this month. And we definitely wanted to have you on the show and, um, and to explain your point of view. And I know a lot of people will um, be able to to, to find you in a different, um, could, should you let everybody know like where they're going to be able to find you so that we can hear some more of your points of views and some more of your modern musings of a modern Muslim. Cause I know that we're definitely going to want to be a little bit more detailed into what else you have to say. Cause I know we're running out of time right now and we could probably talk about this. Like I said, this is a week long webinar series that, and we're just touching the tip of it. So can you let our listeners know where they can find out a little bit more about you and and um, where they can listen to your podcast when you drop and what channels you're on. Because I do know this is definitely a conversation that we can never do with justice. But to the extent that they can hear some more of your point of view, we'd love to, to, to be able to support you. Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram at the mod Muslim, all one word. And then uh, the podcast is called Musings of a Modern Muslim. It's on iTunes, on uh, Google, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher. And so many more. And I'd like to do a lot of social issues, um, counseling, and just talk about those things. But I'm always open to talk about the tough stuff because taboo topics are fun. I, my goal in life is to get a fatwa against me. Oh, that's, yeah. That's what, I need one yeah. of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to put your contacts in our show notes. And if anybody wants to continue to have this Muslim identity, Muslim American identity talk, please, you know, start a thread on our Facebook group, Mommying While Muslim, all one word. And, you know, Fadheen is on there too. So she can be kind of our resident expert and any of our other yep. um, mom sisters who happen to be Shia or identify as Shia, like, please step in because you know this is not something that we can speak to but you know I really appreciate you coming on because you know what I didn't get to talk about was how I was super anti-Shia growing up and it was going to college yeah. and praying next <laughs> to very close friends who happened to be Shia and like wait a minute her arms and the rock and what you know yeah. and she was somebody I respected so much and you know <laughs> she changed me and then it's major scholars major Sunni scholars who completely by the age of 28 had changed my entire worldview and that's why I believe you know yeah. and I think we it's okay for us to disagree on this yeah. I believe it doesn't matter in America. Mm -hmm. But I think we can continue that discussion in our yeah. Facebook group. And I look forward to it. And thank you so much for coming on and having this hard conversation with us today. I'm glad you mentioned the, the a lot of Sunni scholars, they are a lot of allies. So there mm -hmm. are allies. And I think the newer speakers and scholars are really trying to bridge that gap that hey, we're different, we can still get along, we can pray next to each other. End goal is you believe in one God and Pro the prophet muhammad is the last prophet yeah we're, we're good we're, we're friends yeah yeah why further subdivide an already divided community it just doesn't make sense you know we have to stand together or we all fall down yeah thanks so much for joining us on mm -hmm. our episode today that's a good way to end girl <laughs> <laughs> and we'll catch y'all on another episode of mommy while muslim assalamu alaikum everybody 
Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.